And here we are, folks, once again, DC Comics New Podcast, episode number 24. I'm your host, Seth Singleton, and I'm joined today by the always entertaining, always engaging, and always opinionated, Brad Felicki. Brad, can you say hello for us? Hey, everyone. And uh, you can find uh, both Brad and myself over at DC Comics News, providing content, and the great thing is, when you do something like that, it makes talking about today's content um, a little bit more enjoyable, just not only from the insight, but the exposure. And then, since we both have a history with comic books, it's always fun to sort of bring that history into the set of stories going on in DC Comics this week, whether that's comic books, television, or other content based on DC, or movies and Anything else related? And of course, the source material, which we love to cover. And this week, we have plenty from controversy to new characters to trailers. We have trailers, trailers, trailers. But it's also Mother's Day weekend. So really quick, Brad, did you get a Mother's Day present yet? You know, I have not. But I have a good reason is because I am going to actually see my mom next week because she lives in Ohio and I'm going back to visit her next weekend. So I will be picking something up for her uh, when I'm back there and hopefully she'll love it. See, now personal visit is the best present and you're making it authentic because it's not right on the day, <laughs> but you'll still have her your Mother's Day present with you. That's genius. Yeah. Yeah. She's pretty excited. Nice. That's, that's good. Yeah. Uh, I myself just flew in yesterday morning uh, from visiting my parents. So we did a little early Mother's Day event. And I just realized that sometimes it's it's only like the day before that the realization sort of hits whether or not you're ready. And uh, today we're podcasting. I thought it'd just be a fun way to go, hey, you know, let's have something to linger on for the rest of the episode. Because if you don't have one and you're out there listening, man, it's about to get awkward and interesting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, sure. I'm going to... <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go ahead and move us really quick right into uh, our first topic, because the thing about characters is there's always something to add to the mystery. And right now in movie news, the mystery continues to grow about just who Idris Elba will be playing in the new Suicide Squad that we're kind of not sure is a reboot sequel, but we know he's going to be in it. The question is, who is he going to play? Brad, any thoughts on this story that's coming out about uh, Idris? You know, uh, the big rumor seems to be that he's going to be playing Deathstroke. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. I wouldn't be surprised if it's someone else that we're just not sure yet. Um, you know, uh, everybody did love Joe. Uh, I'll probably mangle his last name. Uh Maglinetto, uh, you know, they liked his idea and he loved that character so much. So maybe there is still some life left in that part of the DC, uh, DCU. But, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Elba would make an incredible Deathstroke. But, and, and I, you know, no matter who he plays, he's going to be great. I mean, let's let's face it. I think that's that's. That's the main thing. So no matter what, we have something to look forward to when this movie does come out or when it's finally revealed who he is, who he is playing. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that easily simply because, you know, given what I've seen him in and how much I've enjoyed him 
uh, in the different characters he's already portrayed. I, I feel like whoever he, he, you know, ends up suiting up as, I'm going to be in, intrigued by. I, I like the idea behind the story here that suggests that all of this uh, sort of speculation is based on this casting rumor, which is about a uh, teenage thief named Drew who has had minimal contact with her father, who has been in prison, and uh, that this is said to be the daughter of Idris Elba's character. So I'm intrigued by this idea because then that begins pointing the speculation in the rest of the story to Sportsmaster, Deathstroke. And as you mentioned, we've already seen a great casting by, and I was guaranteed to mangle his name, so Joe Manganiello or Manganiello, whichever way I went with it, hopefully one of those was right. (laughs) Yeah, and I thought his casting in Justice League, I mean, he looked like him. Um, I can't say I know as much about his athleticism, you know, aside from the episodes of True Blood that I watched with my wife, or from what I understand is his um, impressive reputation in the Magic Mike movies, which I will admit I have not seen either one and I might not ever see. But, you know, the, the ability that he could use that to his advantage is, you know, Deathstroke made him a good cast. L- looking at Idris Elba, I'm more intrigued by the idea that, you know, Sportsmaster wasn't a big player in my mind until Young Justice. And and now yeah. that he's sort of like come to prominence, what would that be like to finally get an, uh, you know, a, a big screen version of that? And, of yeah. course, the daughter yeah, relationship. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think about that? I, I think that's that would be amazing. Um, Young Justice was so incredible that there's so much great, uh, great source material and a whole big fan base that had already loved it so dearly. So I, uh, yeah, I'd be all for that. And and just to go back to Joe, one, one thing that I always liked about he, Joe in the role of Deathstroke is, is that he loved the character so much. He pushed for it so much. And when an actor does that, the, it shows in the performance, and I, I, I think that that's the you know I, I think that he loved the character so much and was so into playing it, and I would just almost want to see Idris play somebody different, and and another spin on that too is just the fact that James Gunn is bringing in all these lesser known characters that I just I'm just loving the idea. Ratcatcher, King Shark, and the fact that Elba could play one of these characters that isn't well known and kind of really make it his own. I'm really intrigued. I can agree with that because I like that the uh, article we're referencing continues to mention the idea that there's also potentially a daughter father combo that doesn't currently yeah. exist. Right. right. And, and yeah, that's true. You know, too. The, yeah, the, absolutely. we could see that playing out. The, the fact that they've already uh, done a, a gender uh, swap on uh, rat catcher, um, which is always a confusing term for me. Just the idea of swapping genders. It just, just yeah. it should feel like a character or a casting decision, you know, less, yeah. less about, you know, I mean, the gender is going to make a difference. But when they reference it in that way, it puts a lot more emphasis. I'd rather just see. Whoever is the best actor to play that, male or female, yes, whoever too. does a great rat catcher, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, there could be a daughter relationship in there. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, also the idea I mean, who knows? What if Polka Dot Man's got a daughter we've never heard of? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so the, the idea is, you know, it, it is a thief and that this has built a speculation about who Idris Elba could play. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of would like the idea of him also as a. As King Shark, it feels like it could be a, a really interesting idea. However, 
now we move right into the question of, well, is that who Michael Rooker might be playing in a new story that references that Rooker is in talks to play King Shark? And, you know, moving right along as we are into Suicide Squad and more about it, what do you think about this decision? Of course, given Gunn's history with Rooker and their relationship on other projects, how do you feel about this possibility, King Shark, Suicide Squad, Brad, take it away? I love the idea because, you know, like you just said, Jay, uh, they have a good relationship and James Gunn gets some really good performances out of Michael Rooker. It looks like he's actually having fun. Now, with King Shark, though, the question is, is it going to be like a CGI motion capture thing or is it going to be some kind of practical effects? And that may make a big difference in uh, in how Rooker, uh, you know, plays the role or approaches how to play the role. And uh, Brad, you know, we, we talk about the issue of mind reading on this program, yeah. and it, it's been a factor. <laughs> and that was one of the first things that came to mind. In fact, I made a little notation by this. You know, granted, I'm sure that Rooker could go ahead and beef up a bit, but he seems slim for that kind yeah. of a role, right? Yeah. yeah. And then raises the question, you know, how is he going to be portrayed? Now, granted, we've seen Gunn pull off some amazing work with two different actors uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, doing just the voice and allowing the CGI to amplify that or help, you know, echo the personification given through that voice acting to great success. So possibility we could just have a CGI with a great Rooker personality and, you know, twang to it. And uh, and that could be something that's as successful as having him just, you know, dressed up and beefed up for this role. Right, right. Um, but, but it does continue to just build to the speculation. If Rooker is indeed cast in that role, then what are the remaining ones that we'll see Elba take? And are there any other castings that the speculation has also pointed out in both of these articles could be revealed later on? Because we do have some big cons in which they like to reveal information, right? Right. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is we'll probably have a definitely a clearer picture, you know, in July with san diego i would not be surprised if um, if there's a panel in hall h with suicide squad <laughs> <laughs> i'm, I'm pretty sure I could that... be there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly well i think the fun thing is you know the first time that you and i had a chance to get on one of these was with josh and we talked about everything that had gone down at the Comic-Con. So this could be a nice little reunion for that one and a chance to, you know, reflect again on the things we got wrong and right that last time around and just how much comes out that might sort of point us in the direction of maybe being right again or possibly being completely wrong. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's part of Um, fun of being a fan is just kind of speculating (laughs) and then seeing (laughs) seeing what gets revealed. Definitely. And also comes with it the fact that, you know, we're bringing our own sort of either insights or, you know, sort of connection with the characters and which parts we would most enjoy seeing and how that could influence whether or not we're going, well, this is why I think it's going to work and why, you know, something else just doesn't seem as plausible. Right. And, um, you know, that that sort of makes it interesting because right into our next topic, we've got, uh, you know, the story from Charlize Theron about how she turned down a role in Wonder Woman. And when I initially thought of her, I immediately thought, wow, Amazon, tough. Loved her in uh, Mad Max. 
um, you know, I thought she was just <laughs> so savage in that movie yeah. and, you know, would have been perfect for an Amazon. And yet the question isn't about her toughness, but instead the question about her age and would she have been willing to play Diana's mother? What did you think about this story and what she had to say? You know, I, I kind of, I can see her point. You know, she's only nine years older than uh, Gal Gadot, and she was asked to play her mother. I mean, I know, you know, visually it would work. You know, Amazons can be kind of timeless, and you know, they don't necessarily age the way humans do. And I get that, but just the principle of it, uh, I, I can totally see why she would turn it down. She shouldn't have to, you know, she. She doesn't have to play the mom yet. <laughs> I, I, right. You know, there, there, there isn't any point in which it's been said, okay, this is now, you know, your sort of casting age category or that you should have to make that decision for this role and never be able to sort of come back from it. Now, I, I can completely agree, too, that when I was thinking about her as an Amazon, yes, the ageless sort of quality and how often in comics she doesn't look a day older. I mean, she pretty much looks like Diana's sister. You know, it's like yeah. there's a stopping point of yeah. like, you know, 22 to 25 and or maybe 30. And that's it. You know, they, they, they don't age beyond that point. But um, even with that, it did feel like that casting decision would have moved her into the mom category and, and really cemented it. You know, especially yeah. with the success of Wonder Woman and the possibility of seeing a reappearance in the upcoming sequel. And she, she said in the uh, in the interview, too, that that was the first time that that happened to her. So, you know, you're right. Like once once you do that, you can't go back. And that's that's it. She's just not quite ready to be there yet. So. Yeah. And while I appreciate when DC wants to do something that's a little bit out of the box in moments like this. Stay in the box, my friends. You did a great yeah. job with casting Connie Nielsen. You could have avoided all this awkwardness with uh, without trying to, you know, put Miss Theron in this awkward position. And I was just curious, uh, at, because I saw this note, this little, you know, I think it's about 15 words reference, that Nicole Kidman, who is 51, uh, said that she was offered the role and... It eventually went to Miss Nielsen, who is 53. Any, any response to just the idea of what Kidman could have actually accomplished in that in that casting? Well, I'm sure she would have been good. Um, and I don't, obviously for age, for her wasn't necessarily an issue because she played uh, Aquaman's mom. So, uh, you know, maybe it could have been money. Maybe it could have been, you know, maybe they were already in talks with with the Aquaman people in a certain way. And, you know... I'm not sure, but um, I think she could have done a good job too. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm actually uh, embarrassed a little bit to admit I haven't seen Aquaman yet. The timing of my uh -huh. work schedule just really prevented me. Yeah, and then I was trying to catch it on my flight, and something was going on with the streaming, and oh, I was just like, no. <laughs> "Okay, so apparently there's some sort of <laughs> force at work." Right, you know, for whatever reason, I'll see it when I see it, and I need to stop trying to fight it. Because yeah. it, when it doesn't work out and you're busy, you're just working towards frustration. But I, I have heard good responses about her casting and her performance. And, you know, you've just gone ahead and 
uh, added to that. And yes, that could have been a scheduling conflict or character casting. If, if they've got her in Wonder Woman, clearly she can't be an Aquaman. And if she's already committing verbally or in some other way to Aquaman, she can't accept a role like that. Um, and I felt Connie Nielsen was a great casting, but I was kind of surprised that, you know, this sort of revelation came out. And um, the thing that brought it up was that she was on television in an interview having a discussion where uh, it was what Bravo's watch what happens live. And I didn't actually watch the segment because I felt her, her quotes here were about all I really needed. You know, yeah. it seemed like yeah. that that was really clear. She just says it's a de defining moment when I crossed over and I just wasn't aware of it. Suddenly I'm yeah. being asked to do a mom role. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But those sorts of decisions are always, I'm sure, part of the backstory of great projects and something that seems like a really great project and I'm personally excited about is the announcement that, D that WB is uh, going to be adding five animated DC showcase shorts to their upcoming projects. The first, which will be uh, Sergeant Rock, and it's going to be attached to the Batman Hush. I want to go ahead and get your thoughts, Brad, on that announcement. And then as you read through, if there were any of the other titles that you saw that also just sort of leapt out at you. I think as a whole, the whole thing kind of stood out to me for two reasons is that I absolutely love the characters that they're using. Uh, Sergeant Rock, uh, that was some of the first war comics that I read back when I was, you know, when I was little. And uh, I've always been a fan of that character. And seeing DC still wanted to use them enough that they're going to make an animated short. I can't wait. Death by death from Sandman. Are you kidding me? I mean, Sandman is some of my favorite comics. So I <laughs> absolutely cannot wait. Uh, Phantom Stranger, Adam Strange. Yes, absolutely. I love these characters. But also, they have some pretty good talent behind them, too, which sparked my, uh, sparked my entrance. Uh, you got Luis and Walter Simonson, uh, Tim Sheridan, uh, you know, and who else we got? Um, J.M. Uh, D. And I might butcher his, butcher his last name too, Mateus. <laughs> That's and okay. I think it, and it's really cool that they, they, the writers that they're using have really good backgrounds in comics. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons that they're going to be really good is that these are writers that know the characters and know, and know how to write them. So I'm very excited for all of these. I can join you wholeheartedly in excitement for that. I mean, I really enjoyed the appearances of Sergeant, Sergeant Rock when I got a chance to stumble across him uh, in my younger days of DC Comics. And that was my first introduction also to sort of this war period in comics when that was what the main storylines were. And those were, you know, so much of what was dominating the, uh, the sales racks at the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was, of course, in so many different other common companies versions of these different characters portraying what the war was like because that was really on the consciousness of uh, the public and yeah. sergeant rock just seemed that sort of gruff seen it all done it all but because of you know just who he was he also had this loyal group of guys and they were going to do anything and go anywhere and you know orders his orders and <laughs> yeah he was just a lot of fun and it's kind of funny because a lot of comic characters, they change with the times and they reflect the times that they're in at the moment. Sergeant Rock was kind of this eternal, 
badass in World War II. Drop him in any situation, and you know what you're going to get. And you know it's it's um, it's so nice to have him back because he hasn't really been in the comics either. And yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, and not only that, but of course we've got that great continuity with Bruce Tim. I mean, he's involved in so many of these projects. Yes, and yes. you know, seeing his hand at play. But also, as you mentioned, this great writing group. I mean, Tim Sheridan, who you mentioned, just did the most recent, you know, uh, Superman with Reign of the Superman. Yeah. And then um, everyone else appears to have worked on everything from Justice League Fatal Five to, well, go ahead and take a look through. But Batman the Killing Joke. I mean, right, you've right. got to. I mean, it's just it's crazy level of talent. Yeah. And they've all been involved in these projects previously that reflect that they've got that continuity and that tone. And now, you know, seeing it with Adam Strange, really been enjoying seeing, you know, his appearance recently in comics like Green Lantern. Um, I I really love some of the work that I saw in the uh, 52 series, you know, uh, some time ago. Um, And then, of course, you know, uh, Phantom Stranger and Sandman, as you mentioned, you know, the idea of death. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. that's something that we we need to start introducing to the public, because these were things that were making the 90s a really exciting time for comic books. And um, they've deserved a time on screen, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And. Come, when you come right down to it, I think the sad, the Sandman saga is some of the best literature that's come out of the 20th century, really. And I don't say that lightly. So I, <laughs> anything that's going to get more you. people to go back to read it, I think that, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I'm so excited to see these characters brought to life. And I'm hoping we can get a cameo of the Endless. That it's not just about death. Yes, agreed, agreed. And not only that, but, you know, there's a history that's available if people go back and read it that's also going to inform them so much about the fact that right now there are so many comics about that universe currently available if right. you want to, yeah. you know, sort of enjoy the modern incarnations as well. Yep. And, yep. you know, why not Why not enjoy both worlds? One that's yeah, current exactly. and fresh and one that's loaded with great history. Right. And right. as you pointed out, Neil Gaiman, Gaiman, I'm going to go with Gaiman because that's, I think, the way it just yeah, sounds in right. my head. That's what I always say, yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, yeah, what he's doing here is not just comic book writing, it's literature. You know, he's crafting this sort yeah. of <clears throat> timeless narrative that I believe, you know, for hundreds from years from now, people are going to go, wow, this is really cool stuff. I can dig this and it doesn't feel dated or, you know, sort of set in any sort of one moment. It, it definitely yeah. feels yeah. like it's... It's questioning the issues that, that we're always going to be facing, you know, and the challenges that make us. Um, seeing that on screen, you know, animated no less, the, the, the possibility is huge. Um, yeah, I can't. I just can't, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm sure we could probably just keep on gushing. But there's so much more news that I want to keep us moving into because simply there's opinions to be had about all of it. And... We don't know how many more of these we're just going to try and squeeze on through. Lego DC has a big announcement. Batman Family Matters animated film has been officially announced. And it's going to be heading for home video. Brad, what did you think about when you heard about this story? I, what stuck out to me uh, is on the trailer is that they brought the OMAC in. And I've just been rereading... Uh, infinite crisis when all that went down so it was kind of fun yeah. to see them bring that back and i was like oh that's an interesting choice because don't aren't those aren't so well known 
outside of comic book readers. So seeing a little minifigure OMAC is kind of kind of cool. I think that's a great detail to point out. Yes, it was an interesting storyline because it pointed to something that, again, is always the great challenge for a character like Batman when they want to try and find that sort of ultimate solution. And whether it was the uh, version that we saw portrayed on screen with the tapping into technology and using cell phones to track down a villain in the OMAX saga, what you saw was this intelligence factor that got out of control and then got co-opted and was manipulated. And in that process, we saw, you know, some really serious consequences come out of it. I mean, it, it, it led to the death of uh, Blue Beetle, you know, a shocking yeah. you know, development and so many other components and the introduction of characters who hadn't been in the limelight, like Maxwell Lord. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm intrigued by that. And I'm, I'm really thankful that you brought that up um, simply because, yeah, seeing an OMAC in that way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that was a really cool concept. You know, I, I hadn't thought of seeing a Lego version of that. But then once I did, I thought, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I was curious what you thought about the casting decisions. You know, there's quite a list of people involved, you know, and everyone that you've seen from, you know, projects related to comic books and animation. But, I mean, Will Friedell from Boy Meets World and Kim Possible is Nightwing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Were his there funny any line about the trust fund was uh, <laughs> funny, too. Well, you can't go wrong with Troy Baker as as Batman. As much as we all love Will Arnett as Lego Batman, Troy Baker's always always great in the role um and was there anyone else who stood out for you any other names that you said "Ooh, that's a great name and that's going to be a really fun or that when well, you heard it on screen tom, it stuck out tom kenny is also very talented and nolan north i always love what they do i mean those are, i know those are all big names and tara strong it's almost like you couldn't have an animated dc movie without tara strong being you know, involved in it in some way <laughs> Even it's just some random character in the background that screams. I mean, she'll she'll be there somehow. Yeah, so it's good to see. It's good to see these returning names. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it's almost like she's going to start getting the reputation of like a Christopher Walken. It's just like, yeah. wow, <laughs> you know, I just love every time she's on. Like, let's put her in everything. I mean, it's always yeah. going to be fun, right? And people are going to yep. enjoy it. Um, and it's clearly following what has been a very successful venture which is the, uh, you know, DC Lego universe and, and the, the projects that have come out of it. This Family Matters concept is, is following along with it and driving home a, a great component that makes so many of these DC stories so great when they're told in the, uh, the Lego universe, which is about family, you know, yeah. and about the, uh, the people that help us, you know, the most when we need them and, you know, family that you're born into and the family that you make. Um, and with that humor that that works in the Lego movies, it's always fun to see Batman being driven crazy by by his family. So <laughs> that, I'm sure we'll see that a lot in this. Yeah. And I also think it's something that, you know, makes it really enjoyable for just about everybody. I mean, we can all relate to family driving us just a little bit crazy. And it's nice to know that even Batman gets pushed to the edge a little bit. Right. Plus, <laughs> You know, there's always something fun about him, you know, growling in frustration because you yep. know what he can do. And he's just going, ah, you test my patience sometimes. You yeah. you just test my patience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and that moves us really quickly over on into TV and streaming news. But of course, at DC Comics News, we still have to pay the bills. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick pause 
And that commercial time will roll on through faster than you can say DC Comics News. We'll be right back. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. And thanks for sticking with us and stay in tune as we move right into our TV and streaming news coming out of the DC Comics home office. First up on the agenda, headlining the announcements was Aqualad and Aquagirl just may be headed to Titans. Titans, you'll remember being one of the breakout original programming on DC Universe, and it ended with a bit of a cliffhanger, and ever since then, there's been another announcement about another new character. This time, it's two, and what do you think about the addition of these underwater adventures? Uh, well, one thing in the article pointed out is that they might be... Uh, Tula and uh, from Young Justice, the, those versions of the characters, which I think would be uh, would be really cool. Uh, but there's also that kind of fear that there's too many characters that they're bringing into season two of Titans, and I just don't want to see them bring in characters and have them be underused. I'd almost rather wait for them to bring them for uh, season three. But, you know, maybe that's who knows what they have planned, you know, so this is all speculation at this point. Uh, I could see a really cool climactic battle at the end of the season between Deathstroke and everybody, you know, so so we'll see. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it gives us a chance to sort of reflect on the fact that there, you know, with all the casting news, what we have learned so far is that we've got Ian Glenn playing Bruce Wayne. The announcement that Isai Morales will play Slade Wilson slash Deathstroke and that Cello Man will play his son, Jericho, and that Rose Wilson will also be joining the party. Now, yeah. this is in addition to the rumors of Lex Luthor and potentially Guardian. Right. Um, I'm just going to start counting on my fingers. One, two, three, four, five. Now we're talking about six and seven with the addition of Octavius. Aqualad and Aqua Girl. Um, you know, I loved Tula and Calder. I love their versions on Young Justice. Their addition would be great. But yeah, I am curious about the fact that why is there going to be such a large cast? And how is it that we're going to be able to, you know, make this all work, considering we still have a Trigon issue to address, a yeah. possessed Nightwing, <laughs> or soon to be Nightwing, former Robin. And yeah. a team that, you know, it's not like they had accomplished, uh, you know, some great feat at the end of this most recent season. So how can we move forward with addressing that current issue and then still introducing this whole new cast of characters? 
Um, what do you think about the idea of this maybe being part of a mid-story arc, a developing background arc that picks up after the Trigon issue has been addressed and as the characters start building towards like a new direction or facing new challenges, maybe for a new cliffhanger? Yeah, I think that would be that that would be cool. It's about, you know, setting up something really big for the third season, even, you know, planting those seeds now. And, you know, if you get if you get Trigon out of the way and things like that, then that could be they could have a characters like Aqualad and Aquagirl could have more of a um, stronger showing in the third season. So, yes. Yeah, now, absolutely. of course, I also, you know, I left off the fact that we also learned that Superboy would be coming on board. And that yeah. that could oh, add yeah, sort of too. a yeah. you know dynamic and dynamite level addition. Um, but also, I, I feel like his you know recent addition and the fact that we know he's coming from something that's like a Cadmus um, or is Cadmus itself, that that could sort of add to the chaos that would be involved when you're dealing with a manipulator like Deathstroke, right? I mean, this guy is known for sort of pulling the strings really well and depending on how his son and daughter are being used as part of that manipulation uh, i would think maybe uh, a confused or still adjusting superboy might help maybe adding this other cast can bring on but it does feel like a lot of pieces moving around um i, I could see superboy being an anchor of the third season interesting okay um, yeah i like that's that a, direction yeah, i i i could definitely see that happening do you want to go into any detail? Because, you know, um, that's well, a good I, I possibility. Think, I, I, I think that a lot of fans out there, a lot of Titans fan love, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the Connor version of the character that they are bringing into Titans. And that character has a big fan base. And with power like that, it's not something that you can treat lightly. Uh, the show's gritty and real enough, you know, based enough in somewhat of a real world that I think characters with the powers of Superboy would have a big effect and it couldn't just be glossed over and like, you know, all of a sudden, oh, here's Superboy. It has to be a little more than that. I couldn't help but, you know, think that I'm agreeing with everything you're saying as you're saying it. But it's also bringing to mind as you do that, yes, uh, in my best understanding, this is going to be Connor. And that also early on at the casting decision, the actor whose name I'm not going to even attempt to try and remember, um, you know, will, you know, be referencing, you know, even in his social media, that this was in some ways pointing to its earliest roots. You know, this is the Superboy that we saw right after the death of Superman, this sort of young, you know, maybe cocky with the haircut and the leather jacket, right? And, yeah. you know, that would be a little bit of a different take than what we saw in the Young Justice version. But it would echo really well what we just saw in Reign of Superman. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it would fit the tone of Titans, the show, pretty well, too. Yeah, he might be a really nice balance, too, to the you know, the uh, the yeah. fact that I, I also didn't see in this. But I'm remembering that, you know, Jason Todd will also be coming back. And he had sort of a, you know, great cocky bravado and mm -hmm. that seeing that match up against that maybe same sort of tone coming from a super powered character like Superboy with those kind of levels could really make for some great on screen tension. You know, the idea that the only thing holding them back <laughs> is <Yeah>. whatever reasons <laughs> they're deciding on and that they're both capable of doing some, you know, 
pretty pretty harmful things, superpowered or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with such an amazing cast list, it's clear to consider that Titans will be a powerhouse production when it does come back on screen. And that news that has been coming out also suggests that it won't be alone. The announcement was recently made that Swamp Thing has officially wrapped production. Now, this, of course, is coming on the heels of the uh, sort of confusing series of stories that came out about first the project being cut from 13 episodes down to 10 and then about the decision that was made at sort of a well shocking way for the cast and crew who were you know caught unawares and then the series of you know sort of reaffirming reassuring there's been a lot going on with Swamp Thing. How do you feel about the announcement that the official production is over and, and now fans can just start waiting or looking forward to the post-production final product? Yeah, I'm really excited to see the finished product. Uh, it is bittersweet that it's 10 and not 13 episodes, but I think it'll the proof will be in the pudding. What they put into those 10 episodes and what kind of story they tell. Uh, so... It would be nice to see them do 13, but I just, at this point, I just really want to see the show. The, you know, the trailers have been intriguing and I'm, I'm ready to, I'm ready to binge. <laughs> I think that's the way we all are. I am curious, uh, you know, how it's going to be released. If uh, we're going to see this come out similar to what we've seen with Titans and Doom Patrol, whether as a full streaming binge or episode by week sort of breakdown. Yeah, I think... I think it'll be by week, even though I wish they would just dump them all at once. And then you could just because I when they do that, that once a week thing, I, I tend to wait a few weeks and then watch a few episodes at a chunk. So I, I, it'll probably be weekly, but I'm hoping for the whole 10, 10 episode dump. So we'll, see. <laughs> well, DC Comics, if you're out there, if you're listening Please spread the word to DC Universe that we would all love it if you listen to Brad and dump it for 10 just because. Now, this also gives me a chance to point out that it's just Brad and myself today and that at uh, a last minute announcement, we had to let go of our friend and the member of a, a triangle that we've created on a few of these episodes, our good boy, Steve J. Ray. Steve, if you're out there, this part's for you because I just want to touch bases on some things that, you know, have been mentioned and that you have done such a great job pointing out and that Brad has been also a, a great part of that conversation, which is about, you know, how this character is based on Len Wein and uh, the Bernie Wrightson <clears throat> project who created it and also about so many of the elements that were, you know, involved in this production uh, one of the things that caught my attention, too, that I maybe had missed, it was just the uh, the realization of the uh, writing team. Not only the writers from Battlestar Galactica, but Daredevil, as well as, uh, you know, It. And then, of course, we've yeah, got James yeah. Wan involved with the production. You know, any of that come into to play as part of that anticipation, given everything that's been building up to it. You know, the confusing parts can feel a little demoralizing. But now that that's all been completed we can start looking ahead a little bit and some of these high points i sometimes 
feel like they get missed when there's a project like this that that has some confusion during the process and can still be great as projects like Ant-Man that had some controversy and confusion turned out to be an amazing project. And as so many others in the DC universe have, what do you think are some of the high points that we can continue to look forward to now that production is wrapped and we can look forward to that, you know, eventual release? I would love it if it just took the world by storm and was this huge runaway hit that nobody expected. And then they're like, oh, man, we should have made 13 episodes. Quick, we'll throw some 13, you know, we'll do three more episodes and just throw it on as a bonus. You know, that would just be, that would be kind of, as a fan of the character, that would kind of be fun to see. Um, but that, that source material, it, it, it felt so um, part of, like, that EC Comics horror, like the classic horror comics of the day. And everything that they've shown so far, the, the series has that kind of feel. And that, I don't know if that's something that we've seen recently. So I like the idea of that kind of storytelling coming back. Yeah, you know, when you when you mention that, it makes me realize that, yes, so far in the DC Universe, we haven't seen as much attention placed on the horror aspect that is part of DC Comics and part of comic book history. And so many of the elements that, you know, were created at that time came came about for one reason, but went on to become sort of a cornerstone. And in regards to the magical universe, uh, Swamp Thing has become one of the biggest anchors. And he's right up there as sort of fundamental, if not, yes. you know, titular character. Yeah. And with what's going on now, I think the magic corner of the DC universe is the most interesting. So having Swamp Thing take such a center stage in the comics and this new TV show, it's time for a renaissance. Yeah, and I think you're really keying into the fact that this is, because it's so untapped, because it's something that hasn't been, you know, given the opportunity to shine, it, it does also have that ability to continue crossing over, much like, you know, characters uh, like Constantine can be involved in some of this storytelling or he can cross over to them. And also, I mean... I'm suddenly thinking about the idea of how sweet would it be if we saw Swamp Thing facing off with the Titans against Trigon in some crazy way. Because yeah. um, <laughs> they, I mean, they keep going, I mean, back and forth on that. Like, it's not a shared universe. It is. And I've heard it both ways. So I don't know if, if they've come out and said 100% that it is a shared universe between all these shows. I mean, obviously, Doom Patrol and Titans are. but the uh, But I wasn't sure about... Uh, swamp thing do you know if that's been official no it hasn't in any way been you know referenced that i can think of or that i can point to i've had the same question in my mind and it's something that i'm never going to be clear on until it's actually shown to me in some way i mean if mm -hmm. there was an opportunity in the uh remaining episodes of doom patrol to to show some sort of hint of that i i would of course be intrigued and I would be, you know, sort of energized at the possibility of expanding that universe. But yeah, right now, the only two that I've seen was the clear, you know, connection made in the episode of Titans that began introducing uh, Doom Patrol through the uh, relationship with uh, Garfield and how he was once a member of that and how we were able to go ahead and get a glimpse into that world. But unless Doom Patrol does that, then it's going to have to be an introduction made either through Swamp Thing or through another title at some point. I mean, it could happen uh, in Titans 2, 
the next season. It could happen in some other way. But no, I haven't heard any clear pointing to that. And that's something I'm curious about and hopefully looking forward to. Um, you know, but even though production is wrapped, that doesn't mean that we are completely bereft of any other forthcoming news. There is a new Swamp Thing trailer available. It's a little teaser. It's not very long, and I'm probably wrong to call it a trailer. Perhaps teaser is the appropriate terminology. Go ahead and correct me wrong. Tag me at DC Comics News. Seth, you don't know what you're talking about, and I'll totally understand. But this little video clip felt like it was more than a teaser, especially because of everything that was involved. Now, I've got my own take, but Brad, I want to hear from you first. What did you think of this teaser clip to uh, sort of whet the appetite? (laughs) It's really great to see Abby Arcane because she's such an important character in the mythos of Swamp Thing. And uh, haven't gotten too much info on her. Uh, So it's kind of nice to see that little teaser that's focused uh, on her. And it's so, this is just a stupid little personal thing, but I'm so used to the character having blonde hair. I kind of like that she's a brunette. For some reason, it gives the whole thing a little darker, a little more mysterious, not mysterious, but a little. Just a little darker tint, so I thought that was kind of an interesting choice. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, and the the actress, I thought she did a great job when she was on uh, uh, Gotham. So uh, Crystal Reed, I think was her name. So yeah, I was uh, I like I'm liking what I'm seeing. Yeah. I'm going to say that the first thing that came to mind when I watched the trailer was how completely artful it was, how it starts out with her in this swamp setting. She's sort of lying there in this sort of dreamy, disconnected, you know, um, wistful sort of state. And, And while she is, it's really easy to just sort of get drawn into watching her. And listening to the really compelling voiceover and what she's talking about with this idea of what we think is horrible, what we think is a monster, what we think is terrible. And it only, you know, became clear in the second viewing that there's an arm Mm -hmm. right near her leg and that when you're looking for that shape, the sudden appearance of the light moving off of her panning to the left and showing Swamp Thing's face and them both looking so peaceful. And and that reference she says about, you know, you don't always know what a love story is or a love story doesn't always look the way you think it should or that love doesn't. I mean, that seemed like such a powerful message that could resonate with almost every type of audience and fan across the ages. And uh, this presentation that was so just tastefully, delicately, and I think there was a very conscious approach, almost like there was a second message going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. If you're watching this show, you're going to watch it more than once because a lot's happening in the background. It's going to be a lot of layers. Yes, and given the history of these characters, I would imagine that's got to be something of a goldmine for longtime fans like you and Steve. Steve, this is another shout-out to you, brother. I can't (laughs) wait to hear your thoughts when this finally comes on the air because listening to you and Brad talk about it already, I mean, Brad, you and Steve have gone to some really great points of discussion. And the idea that now we've been given this hint, 
like it's not all going to be right on the surface. These layers are going to be available for you guys to sort of go, ooh, 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 look at these eggs we saw. Guys, let me tell you what I think is happening. Any thoughts on that as a longtime fan and how this is going to be revealed for you? I think that this is going to be a deeper, more true to the source material swamp thing than we've gotten because there's certainly no lack of live action swamp things over the years, you know, and those, most of those always felt like a, like a B movie kind of thing, but this, this definitely looks and feels like it's going to have some real meat on its bones like the comics do. So it's going to be the series that he deserves. Hopefully fingers crossed. Yeah, that was always, unfortunately, one of the turnoffs for me when I was much younger and thought I would try and watch uh, the Swamp Thing when it would appear on, uh, I think it was like USA Network would show some reruns of the, the show, and I think they would have the movies on sometimes. And I would find myself just being kind of a spoiled kid, you know, so used to what the newest technology had been offering me in the way of either adventure or horror, and, and you know, phasing out, somehow getting distracted or, or not tuning in the way I would, you know wanted to and i'm looking forward to this new presentation but also you know the the nice thing is having someone with your you know understanding of the lore of the character i wouldn't mind if you could just go into a little bit about just who abby arcane is and and what fans you know who might not be as familiar with the character and the relationship between swamp thing and abby what maybe you know can be taken also with that knowledge from this trailer and this sort of pointing at their relationship. Well, I always saw her as kind of the anchor to his humanity. Uh, He fell in love with her and she's the kind of thing that kind of keeps him grounded and not going completely off into the green. She's like a, a definite super part of his his motivation and uh, and his humanity, and she is also uh, she she she's no she's no slouch. She definitely gets deep too. I mean, so I in Alan Moore's run, her arcs and her exploration of herself and what Swamp Thing is were just as important and just as deep as. Alec Collins, and I don't, I, I just don't think you could have a Swamp Thing without the foil, or not necessarily foil, but that anchor that that Abby is. So you definitely, definitely need her. And Brad, thank you for bringing up the anchor because I think it points to one of the examples that has been so well presented in other superheroes from the DC universe, whether it's Superman and Lois, whether it's, uh, you know, um, oh, Wally West and uh, Linda, uh, whether it was Barry and Iris. um, It seems that all of our best, or in my opinion, best and favorite characters have that anchor. They have someone who keeps them from going so far into the powers that they've had the chance to tap into that they can still find a way to balance the humanity, which is who they started out as. And in a character like Swamp Thing, that's really the big challenge. He's gone from being this man to becoming this, you know, representation of a force of nature, of a representative of a a magical presence that's embodied in nature. And, And through that, you know, 
there's all these opportunities for him to become part of that bigger universe and leave behind yeah. the, the man of Alec Holland. And yet through Abby, we see that there will always be, you know, this relationship with her that's going to be his reason for not going off into the green. And I really thought yeah. it was great the way you brought that into that, you know, uh, discussion and, and as part of your thinking, because her involvement, as you pointed out, as being so important in the Alan Moore story, and also, you know, in the character's development, w- without her, how can there be a Swamp Thing? It'd just be, you know, the Alec right. Holland you present. Could. Yeah, yeah, kind of disappearing yeah, into the green. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that wasn't the only sort of video teaser that we were getting this week. I mean, so many trailers seem to be coming out. Um, it's really easy to, you know, stop here and probably just spend a lot of time on the Swamp Thing teaser. But there was also a Krypton Season 2 featurette that was just released. And it was pointing to another example of something that characters have to face and a challenge that they're coming up against. What did you think about this story that that focuses on uh, Segel and uh, Brainiac? It's going to be an interesting conflict, and I'm so glad that it focused focused so much on Brainiac because I think that Krypton's Brainiac is one of the better incarnations of the character that I've read or watched or whatever in in so long. Uh, so I'm s- pretty happy that he's going to have a big part to play in season two. I mean, I figured he would, but this seems to be cementing that in. And, you know, that that conflict is not going to be an easy fight. So, yeah, I, I'm I've... excited for season two. Yeah, and all the things that you just pointed to are, are things that I've I've really been thinking about since watching the featurette. You know, previous experiences witnessing uh, whatever incarnation of Brainiac has been shown on television, whether it's from Superman the Animated Series to later on in Justice League and Smallville, um, Smallville um, what was it, Superman Unchained they recently showed. Um, and there's been all these different, you know, versions of him. In this one, you know, if Keeping in mind what's presented is the idea that they're trapped now in the Phantom Zone and in some way forced to kind of work with each other. There's a manipulative side to Brainiac that's um, sort of masked by this attempt to be personable or emotive or empathic, yeah. right? And that's gonna, yeah, and that's going to make that conflict so interesting. Like that partnership, he's going to have to be continually watching his back. Yeah, and also because of what we know about some of the best characters, he's going to have to balance that sort of responsibility of needing to put aside his own personal reasons for not wanting to trust someone and partner with a a hated enemy to, uh, you know, somehow one, survive, and two, find a way out. Yeah. And uh, I really think it's something interesting because it mirrors what we've been seeing. I don't know if you've kept up with Justice League Odyssey at all. But how they have the heroes, you know, forced to work with Darkseid. Uh, oh, you know, I am so excited because I, I think the first trade of that is out in shops this week, I believe. I think I saw it on the uh, new release schedule. And oh, I've really? Been wanting, and I've been wanting to read that for a while. So you talk to me when I'm back on the podcast and I might have more to say about that because I will have read the trade. 
That sounds great. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to. Um, but I've I've noticed that there's been this uh, sort of recognition recently of heroes having to work with their nemeses in whatever way they you know might not want to or might be forced to. And this has sort of been a way for those characters to define themselves because so yeah. often their nemesis is someone that's like them and yet a, a darker version. And mm-hmm. that you know it's so easy to point to the ways that that it's you know possible to cross over. And yet it's the decisions that are made that that prevent them from doing that. And this is a great example of of that sort of, you know, conflict. And also how we'll get to see Segel define himself against Brainiac and also develop this sort of history of hatred for the House of L. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um, uh, There's so much mythology to build on and use. Uh, I can't wait to see where they go. And I'm intrigued to see it presented as a battle of wills. That's probably the last yeah, impression right. that I yeah. had when yeah, this was exactly. over. It was like, you know what? This is just going to come down to willpower and yep. who can, you know, sort of hold on the longest. <laughs> yep. um, and something that has, you know, been a force of will and a, a forceful presence in comic books. And that presence has moved into um, brief appearance on the CW that then led to the announcement of a official Batwoman show. There's now news following up that Batwoman will be ordered as a series for CW and that this is following uh, a bit of, you know, maybe a couple months now, some speculation and waiting. What did you think about the announcement that the official order has been put in 2019-2020 will have a Batwoman on screen? I I'm glad to see it happen, and it's I can't say I'm surprised. The buzz around the whole production seemed to be pretty good going into it, so it didn't really surprise me that CW liked what they saw. Uh, and now that soon enough we're going to be short at least one Arrowverse show, there'll be a little bit of a vacuum maybe that that uh, Batwoman can uh, can fill, and the casting seems great. You know, I uh, that's another one that I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, where they go and what they do. And it's also back to the idea of source material. Uh, the source material is really good. Um, I it wasn't too long ago that I read the Greg Rucka's first Batwoman collection, God, it was called Odyssey, it was called something I forget what it was called, but it was really good and it looks like they're using that as the basis uh because it dealt with the character of alice and alice is cast in the series so i kind of in you know really intrigued on how they're going to use that source material in the series well and i love the fact that you're pointing to the source material because it you know it was part of how they developed you know the identity of batwoman the, the aspects of her life that had made her so so powerful i mean in so many ways she is you know someone who can stand toe to toe shoulder to shoulder with batman and that's important because now she's going to be filling well actually two roles as you've so you know very uh observably pointed out you know what i mean what'd you say i'm sorry elegy i knew it had a wine and we were talking about oh (laughs) justice league odyssey but it was batwoman elegy yes batwoman elegy yeah yeah, folks 
I wanted, Check to get that that out. I wanted to get that correct <laughs> title in there. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, but, you know, pointing to that work by Greg Rucka and how that, you know, sort of, you know, created the foundation and the establishment of this character. So many things that we've learned since her introduction make her this really strong, you know, person who is able to deal with so much. And you pointed out that we're actually going to be short, not only, you know, Arrow, but as this show points out, Batman is no longer in Gotham. And so there's the need for someone who's willing to be as strong and in dark as is necessary. And I'm curious also what it might mean for her lending a hand where necessary in different parts of the DC universe that you might have seen Green Arrow step into that role. Yeah. You know, her ability yeah. now to be there not only for Gotham as a replacement for Batman, but also for the CW. A, mm -hmm. a chance to bring in a new character who can take on when it happens these darker parts of the DC universe that need someone who who has the you know the skill set to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like the fact that the announcement sort of you know makes her concrete in the CW universe without all that speculation. Now you can sort of know you know what to look forward to, and and I just had to say you know. The introduction, the way that, that we saw her originally in the CW, the way that she was part of that crossover, made her such a natural fit to blend into the rest of that universe for, uh, for later storylines. Yeah, and I'm looking exactly. forward to, to what she means for crossovers. Yeah, because if, I, 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 if she hadn't, I don't think that they'd have been so ready to make a whole series or you know, give it a shot as a pilot. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely 100% correct. Yeah, that exposure to the audiences really seemed to make it easy for so many different age brackets to, to tap in yeah. and, and give their feedback. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of information DC and CW needed to make this decision. Um, and, of course, you know, she's part of the, the darker side of, you know, the crime and the grit that Gotham embodies. But DC Comics has also created quite a reputation for a little bit of levity. And there was a trailer recently uh, sort of highlighting some of those more comedic sides of DC comic books and characters with the Dear Justice League trailer. Um, we both got a chance to watch it. Brad, what was your uh, first takes on the uh, Dear Justice League? Well, I was happy to see it. Uh, you know, before we started recording, we started talking uh, about Free Comic Book Day. And maybe we can come back to that. But in the batch of comics that I got, there was a sampler from from Dear Justice League, and it was silly, fun, and it made me want to read the whole thing. And this trailer, this trailer just cemented that fact in. And as much as it's a younger reader's line, I, th I think that there's going to be stuff for all ages to have fun with this. It looks, yeah, it looks like a, a maybe a much needed lighter take on superheroes these days for uh, for a change. Yeah, I can only I can only, you know, echo the fact that they, it, it felt so lighthearted watching that trailer, you know, watching Superman sort of go, have I ever made a mistake? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or the kids writing Aquaman, the question of do you smell like fish? Right. Or... <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, a kid would ask that, you know, it seems sure. <laughs> yeah. And also the awkward one, you know, uh, so uh, Hawkman, Hawkgirl, um, Hawks eat small animals, mammals, right? So, uh, you know, 
what do you have to say in response to that? And, you know, thinking of both the intelligent ways that you can answer that, not only for the adults, but the kids provides, you know, yeah. all of that great levity that works on both levels when you're watching the animated story. Yeah. So uh, I'm really excited to see how this is presented. Um, what did you think about some of the concepts uh, being addressed by uh, Northrop? The idea of, you know, looking at superheroes behind their masks and also about how they had a personal sort of relationship for Northrop um, about, you know, basically that the comics helped, you know, reading, writing, storytelling, and that, you know, without those, we wouldn't have such a great writer telling their stories in this version. Right. Oh, yeah. Anybody who's into comics has that experience. And I think it always is a gateway to other things like i if I, I wouldn't read as much as i do if i didn't start reading comics when i did when i was younger and they did teach me a lot but you know <laughs> I, I still remember you know when we started the studying about norse mythology i knew everything roman mythology i knew everything because i'd read comic books i could just sit back and i didn't even I didn't even have to study for that test so you do you do <laughs> learn a lot from reading comics and that's one of the benefits of Getting children into books like this too, get them started early because it's just you know the gift that keeps on giving. I love that you reference the mythology that is available and used as part of the source material for so many characters that we get to enjoy in comic books. You know, as you pointed out with Norse and Roman, I actually got some of my best introduction to how many you know different incarnations of gods there are through dc mm -hmm. comics war of the gods which was yeah. you know one of those you know summer events uh back in like 92 93 i want to say mm -hmm. and i remember suddenly finding out about all these different gods that for me were like wow and yet here i am trying to talk to anybody else and they're like what what did you get a history book suddenly did you come you yeah, know right, come across exactly. a mythology <laughs> book what happened it's like yeah. no they're I was actually like, doesn't everybody know this right <laughs> And doesn't everybody, you know, feel as excited about the fact when they had, you know, Flash going up against Hermes or Mercury and what it meant, yeah. you know, the difference between the two and, you know, how all these other things came into play. And also, you know, the more I read of Wonder Woman and, and how much she, you know, showed me about, you know, these great characters who later when I got to see them presented, it, it would sort of make me go, huh, so that's another take on Cersei. Interesting. Cersei. <laughs> yeah. That's not a yeah. character that I would have known without comic books. It's just right. not, you know, Echidna. Yeah, these these are things yeah. that, you know, that, that came about because I read stories that made these, you know, parts of history come alive. And uh, yeah, I really think you captured something when you bring that into play there. You know, the idea that so much of, you know, what what made us, you know, enjoy these characters also taught us about things that, you know, were important in school and when it came to the rest of our lives. Um, thank you. Nice, nice addition there, man. That was just something I hadn't even looked at. But as soon as you said, it, I was like, you know, you're right. I learned a lot about mythology from comic. I, I still am. I, I've, I'm seeing it all the time when, yeah. you know, Aquaman and Wonder Woman continue to introduce these elements of mythology that feel new and fresh. But, you know, their historical foundation is really true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, nice, Brad. Thank you, man. Um, yeah. Totally went off in a different spot. Now, yeah. with all my excitement, I was ready to jump on to the next story, but I wanted to come back for a second because 
you, you talked about something that was kind of a, a big moment for everybody this past weekend, and that was the free comic book day and a chance for young fans, old fans, fans of, you know, what free comic book day is suddenly taken, which is, oh, here's some issues to check out to. This issue was designed specifically for this day as either, you know, an introduction to a new event or a glimpse of new projects coming. And I wondered what else you wanted to just sort of add to, hey, this was kind of fun that I got from DC in addition to the book that you picked up that was an excerpt from Dear Justice League. Uh, you know, uh, as far as DC goes, I'm still kind of rooting through my bag. But uh, what I will say that I noticed over the past couple of years with Free Comic Day is how much of a social media presence it has. All day scrolling through my Facebook, there were people who were taking their kids to get free comics, like so many. And it was so nice that I saw so many people participating and getting excited about it. It's what it's those things that keep the culture alive. And, you know, and it is fun, too, because you're right. They always have like the lead off to some kind of event. It's always in free comic book day. So I always try to get there early because I know that that's going to be the issue that I don't want to miss. And it's just it's 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 fun to participate in it. And it is so much fun to watch other people participate and take their kids and get dressed up. Uh, it's it's just a fun little celebration of comic books. Now, if you don't mind me asking, also, did you uh, did you bring your kids with you? And how many well, shops I did you don't, go to? Well, I don't have kids, so I didn't. But it was just I like a lot of my uh, friends on Facebook. Now, I only went to one, uh, and it was Midtown Comics. Um, I normally go to the Times Square store. Uh, this year I went to the downtown store. Uh, and the great thing about Midtown Comics is they give you a bag with everything. You don't have to pick and choose. And I know that there are a lot of stores that say, okay, you can pick four or you can pick five, three issues, and that's it. But with Midtown, you get, you get them all. And that, that was a lot. That's always a lot of fun to know that you're getting everything. At least for the most part. I mean, there might be like the issue here or there that you miss, but generally you're getting you're getting everything. Yeah, I love you pointing out the fact that, you know, where you went, Midtown Comics, great little, you know, note there. And also, you know, that they just give you the bag of all the comics and you just grab everything. That's really awesome <laughs> way to yeah. say, hey, it's not about, you know, one, two or three. It's about make sure you get a chance to read all these. They're all good. They all deserve your attention. You shouldn't have to choose. Um, it reminds me that, you know, around here, we've got a, I've got two or three I go to. Usually it's going to be like uh, Dr. Comics, Mr. Games over in uh, Berkeley or sorry, over in Oakland off Piedmont. And then I've got a Cape and Cal comics and also fantastic. That's a great over name. In, uh, Berkeley. Yeah. Cape and Cal yeah, is a really Cal, fun one. It. Um, and it's fun for me because, um, Usually when I go to Dr. Comics, Mr. Games, they'll let you take a, an adult bag of comics, but you can also request a kid's bag. Yeah. I've got nieces and nephews. I actually don't have kids either. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there about oh, kids. Awesome. Um, I was, you know, just realizing like, well, I'll, I'll bring this up because, you know, the fun thing is even when you don't have kids, you can enjoy the experience of watching the way kids are introduced to comics, the way yeah. I kind of remember being introduced as a kid. And also, you know, getting a chance to experience that through their eyes. Um, 
whenever I go to these different shops, a lot of times, like Dr. Comics, Mr. Games, I can ask for a bag for me, and I can also say, hey, I got nieces and nephews, and they'll just yeah. have a kid bag ready to go. Here you go, buddy. Make Midtown, sure it gets to yeah. them. Midtown Comics used to do that, and I would do the same thing. I would grab them both. They said, do you want both? And Yeah, because it's a great way to introduce, you know, I've, I mean, I have kids, but I have nieces and nephews, like you were saying. So, yes, mm-hmm. here, check this out. Read it. You know, and uh, that's why it's it's really nice to have all those kid books in there too, uh, specifically for that reason. Yeah, they they really know how to engage, and you know, because of that, now I know that my nieces, two of my nieces, are uh, reading and watching uh, DC superhero girls, um, and that uh, one was Wonder Woman, and now she's Supergirl, and the other one is now uh, Wonder Woman because of you know, what they've learned from just seeing these characters and animated stories nice. and tales. Yeah. yeah. And, and knowing that this is like, you know, another part of reading for them that can be fun and adventurous and provide storytelling in another way. But yeah. here's the other one that, 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 that's sort of fun for me. And I love Sherry because uh, the DC Comics News team was uh, just a lot of fun when I shared it with them. I was out of town visiting my parents in a very rural, extremely rural part of southern missouri called golden i mean population like 150 and there's no comic book stores anywhere nearby so i had to call on my wife to go on my behalf to cape and cowl and she had to navigate the comic book world sort of (laughs) try and figure out how all of free comic book day actually works because i just said look you just show up get whatever free comics you can get back to me um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, on recommendation, someone told her to buy me the Mr. Miracle book uh, oh, that just nice, came out yeah. from Tom King. Yeah, and I just had to yeah, laugh because, you know, you know, yeah, I, I, I didn't have to be there. And yet I could, you know, experience not only uh, her telling me about what happened, but as you mentioned, through social media. So even though I couldn't be there in person, all over the social media feeds, like you mentioned, the, the kids yeah. with the families or the yeah. proud adults talking about characters they've loved since childhood. It yeah. just seems something that was for all ages, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it just uh, seems to be something that's just getting bigger and bigger, which is really <laughs> nice to see, too. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I really feel like it's something that started as a great promotion and has turned into an opportunity to sort of mm-hmm. jumpstart, kickstart, and also, you know, introduce some new ideas and see what feedback is like, right? You know, see what people are responding to and, and right. also, you know, point them into new possibilities. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, feedback is good and Free Comic Book Day is great for that, but feedback isn't always positive. And I'm going to take this opportunity to talk about some negative feedback that recently made the headlines and go ahead and talk about it with you to, to see what your take is. And I'm referring to the Black Lightning story that recently came out, how its creator, um, Tony Isabella, felt that the newest version and sort of characterization of Black Lightning and Batman and the Outsiders doesn't really match. And that's probably putting it in modest uh, <clears throat> tones. What, what did you think about Tony Isabella? What what he was saying uh, in regards to, you know, Black Lightning and how the character is being used in this uh, new Batman the, and the Outsiders series? Uh, you know, I... Uh, earlier in the year, I went to Big Apple Comic Con, and Tony Isabella actually had a panel there. 
and he brought that issue up too. And he said basically about the same thing. He didn't really elaborate anymore, but he, you know, he just didn't like how he's being used in the outsiders. And it is kind of um, strange that Black Lightning doesn't have a bigger presence on the shelves since he's got the TV show out that seems to be doing pretty well, you know. Uh, so, you know, I, I do think he has a point. I think that that Black Lightning could be more in the spotlight than he is. And he even said, I like that that you, tweet, I said oh. like, go to the TV show, you know. So I think he's, I do think he's got a point. Yeah, and I really appreciate you bringing up all of those points. Uh, one, the idea that, you know, he's not playing a bigger role in comic books, that he's not, you know, featured in um, in more ways that, that would really make him engaging. I've loved what I've seen of his uh, portrayal in um, Young Justice recently. I, I thought, mm-hmm. you know, that was actually a really great moment to see the challenge faced by somebody who has been part of the fabric of DC Comics for so long. And who has been part of so many great storylines and, you know, was one of the earliest members of The Outsiders, if I remember correctly, the first version that came out. Um, Yeah, yeah, that's how I remember it, too. Right. So, you know, given all of that, why is this, you know, new version? The only thing that came to mind initially was, okay, maybe this is an attempt to, you know, put the character through a challenge that's important to development in some way, or to simply retell the story of Batman and the outsiders with these new twists that might seem fresh and different from their first versions, because black lightning's always come across as really just, I mean, such a strong character. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why the TV show has been so successful. And I think it's interesting that, you know, Isabella made a point as you, you know, brought up really well that, Look, if you want to read or experience Black Lightning, read Black Lightning, Cold Dead Hands or watch the TV show. Um, And and it's really interesting that that, you know, there are these great examples that he's pointing at. But that in this reference to the uh, Batman and the Outsiders, he's really, you know, pointing out his displeasure. Mm -hmm. And usually when a character has either a TV show or movie coming out they'll have some kind of new, even if it's a limited series or something like that. And really with Black Lightning, I think the only thing that they did that I can recall is they republished uh, year, like his origin story with a cover based on the TV show. And really? That seems like they could have done a little more. Yeah, it definitely feels like a disservice in some ways that this would be an opportunity to have more than one title, especially also with the fact that both of his daughters, who are great characters on the TV show, and I think do an amazing uh, service and justice to uh, characters that I've loved from the comic books, should be playing, you know, able to be part of a bigger role. I mean, I don't see how it would be difficult to have a Black Lightning title and a Black Lightning family title and then a Mm -hmm. sister's title. And all three of those would have a built-in market from the TV show and also have a a built-in audience that would love to see these three different, you know, sort of takes on Mm -hmm. one, what it's like for sisters, what it's like for a father when he's on his own or with his family and, and with the history that, you know, I mean, Black Lightning is not just a new guy on the scene. He's been around for a while. These are all things that, you know, DC should be taking advantage of and 
using in their storytelling because yeah. this character has really captured our attention. Even when um, it comes to something like merchandise, you know, you, how many Black Panther t-shirts do you see? You know, I mean, granted, the movie did gangbusters, but still, I, I can't remember the last time I saw a Black Lightning t-shirt or, you know, to, to be honest, last time I saw a Black Lightning t-shirt, I think Tony Isabella was wearing it at the Big Apple Comic Con. <laughs> That's a you really know, great just, point. You know, I no hats, you know, why not? Yeah, and if you're, you know, looking to support the show on television and the character in comics, that merchandising, that's that's something that always just we're always going to gravitate to as fans and that's always going to be an opportunity to catch new viewers or readers because it's something that says, "Oh, hey, I haven't seen that before." Or mm -hmm. that feels like something familiar that's done, you know, in a new and different way that, you know, speaks to me for whatever reason. So I really appreciate you bringing up the idea of merchandising. I didn't even consider that when I was thinking about this story. And now that you brought it up, I can't stop thinking about it. In fact, <laughs> I want to go online and start looking for Black Lightning stuff because I, I want to see what's out there. And I'm mm -hmm. curious, you know, just what's possible that they just haven't. Notice, DC, if you're listening, we want some Black Lightning stuff, okay? Yeah. We want the swag, we want the shirts, we want the hats, we want keychains. Just, yeah. you know, dish up. Um, now, characters in controversy are, you know, part of the fabric and fold of comic books and comic book history. And the recent controversy in Heroes in Crisis, which is to be discovered by each reader for themselves and not something I'm going to get into, but it has touched on the value of characters and what they mean. And now suddenly there's this announcement in the comic book world that Heroes in Crisis has a uh, rescheduled finale and that in some way it's supposed to coincide with the uh, Doomsday Clock reveal, which has had its own scheduling issues. Um, you know, really, Brad... What's your take on, on both of these stories? Because it, it's about Heroes in Crisis, but it's as much about, you know, Doomsday Clock. Yeah, I mean, I am definitely, definitely intrigued. This is the stuff that I read comic books for, those kind of big reveal moments. I think I talked about that on the podcast when in DC Rebirth, when you saw Batman holding that button, I lost my mind. Um, I remember I that. To see, yeah, and I cannot wait to see what this reveal is now i'm now i'm really curious because i love doomsday clock and i've loved heroes in crisis and if it's and if they're going to somehow be connected I, I what could that possibly be you know i was obviously it's going to involve dr manhattan and another thing to me is if, for me personally this will help anchor those two stories within the continuity of what's going on now because they both seemed a little bit kind of uh, out of place, maybe to me, uh, as far as when they were happening. So the fact that this reveal is going to affect both books will help kind of cement where they stand within the flow of the other books. Brad, I, I really appreciate you bringing up the fact that there has been this issue of continuity within the um, overall comic book universe for both of these stories and both of these titles. It's probably been an issue that I've been, you know, trying to understand as well. And I've heard it echoed not only among the review staff, but also among the comic book community. There's been this sort of um, really unclear timeline for both of these titles. And when it comes to Heroes in Crisis and the way that the events that have been taking place in it are sort of referenced in other titles, 
doesn't feel consistent. You know, it doesn't feel like the the reference matches the events or the developments. Mm-hmm. You know, that this is a murder mystery. A lot of characters that are well known to DC Comics fans have been affected by this. And the characters that they're related to should be, you know, in some way showing their own sort of recognition of the events in this storyline. Yeah. And yet, exactly. you know, that that seems really almost like it's it's not noticed and that creates a continuity mm-hmm. issue. And I'm sure the same can be said for all the different elements that are existing in Doomsday Clock. You know, they're they're playing with the fabric of reality, which, of course, is sort of like you know the playground for Dr. Midnight. Um, or Dr. Manhattan Midnight, little Freudian slip there. Uh, you know, uh, but this guy who's, you know, pulling the strings, of course, when you're dealing with reality and that fabric, so many things are going to be, uh, lacking continuity, but, but that's something that we've been missing. And I'm just curious with all that in mind, had you heard any reference to the two titles being connected before the story? No. And when I read it, I think that's what made me that much more excited because they were going to be connected because i that was complete news to me so that was like wow what's going on yeah it seemed like one of those revelations that was just sort of like you know like someone really buried the lead in this one um yeah (laughs) and it's interesting because you know it feels like as the story of heroes in crisis has progressed that the world sanctuary has been around for some time but it's only being referenced now because of this you know incident that that's sort of shaken everybody and how they're going to connect that to everything you know how this idea of how long it's been around and also how that plays into what's been happening because of doomsday clock that there should be so many opportunities to to do well i think even you know a greater degree of unexpected revelations than this announcement that the two titles are somehow linked there's been no build-up there's been almost no reference of the two different stories as they're occurring, you know, mm-hmm. about each other. And yeah. I'm, I'm curious just how it is that they're going to make this this fit. Um, yeah. And that, that announcement seems so sudden, right? Just yep. sort of like, yep. where'd, th- where'd this come from? And who, who yeah. thought this? <laughs> and it's funny, too, because they've been delaying Doomsday Clock. So in theory, Doomsday Clock could have possibly been done by now anyway. So what have they got? <laughs> what have they got in store? Is something that they just, but I don't think so. I don't think it would be something they, they, that they would just throw in last minute because I think that both of these have been plotted out for a while now. So I don't know. It's going to be, I'm definitely curious. Yes, this would perhaps have to be the story that I'm most thankful we're ending on because I feel it's like that mystery that's going to engage all fans of DC Comics until both issues are released and we can finally figure out just how it is that we're supposed to take this as you know a possibility as a reality as a plausibility as something that makes sense you know to the storytelling Mm -hmm. and to the stories we've been reading out of both of these books so far and i love that you point out that you know with how much planning and plotting has been going on it couldn't be something sudden so there has to be this sort of long range thinking going on Mm -hmm. um i can't imagine oh go ahead I was going to say that it would probably also have to involve Wally West because he's played such a huge part both in Heroes in Crisis now and the lead up, at least, to uh, Doomsday Clock. So Wally West is probably going to play a part. 
Well, yeah, I, I, I think what you're mentioning, too, points to how he was the sort of catalyst for all of this. Yeah. You know, it was Wally, you know, his introduction as the story, thankfully, makes a great reference to 2016 DC Universe. It was about Barry remembering Wally and how that mm-hmm. that brought him into the reality and yep. started to help him. And then through the connections with all the other characters that he had met and known and cementing his reality, that that sort of you know, kickstarted everything. And once that, you know, catalyst of his introduction sparked all of this storytelling, then Heroes in Crisis and Doomsday Clock became these, you know, great titles for us to follow. Just all of the things that that this introduction of him to the world meant for all the characters around him. And I, I really think that it's really helpful to point out that his role in both has been so significant. And also he's kind of the common thread that can tie these two stories together right. the best yep. way possible. Exactly. And that's not something I even really think I was considering until you mentioned it, but you know, yeah. thanks Brad, that, that really sort of really makes it more like a possibility for me. You know what I mean? Um, like that Wally being part of these two stories is how we're going to tie it together. And I would have never considered that until you mentioned it. Yeah. yeah um, so we'll see. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, and that, as I said, is our final story and a great mystery to end on for the uh, DC Comics News podcast. I'd like to start by saying, Brad, thank you for joining me today. I feel like the two of us did our best to tackle these issues. And we're going to be we did enjoying... a good job. Yeah, that's always great. <laughs> Thanks, my friend. I thought you provide a lot of great insight. And added to the conversation with some new topics that, you know, felt like they should have been part of the stories we were talking about. And because they are, I feel like the stories we talked about had so much more depth to them uh, from Swamp Thing to, well, to so many other parts of this, you know, as you just mentioned with Wally West. And uh, man, you've got me thinking about a lot more this week that I didn't know was going to be on my brain. (laughs) Um, As I mentioned, you can find both myself and Brad at DC comics news doing what we can to add to the discussion about all these great characters and stories. Brad, where else can we find you? Where else can people look for you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter, uh, flicky B one F I L I C K Y B one. Although (laughs) I don't tweet, that often i am trying to uh to change that so keep your eyes open please do when he does tweet trust me it's something you're gonna wish you didn't miss <laughs> and uh you can find me at one the number one and more singleton that's one more singleton on twitter and if you look for seth singleton and storytelling or storyteller you'll see where i'm just sort of you know populating the internet um I'd also like to keep in mind that DC Comics News is currently available on all the major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. So if you like what you're hearing, or even if you don't, just please head over and subscribe to the podcast, rate and review. Five stars is really the only choice you can make. And if you disagree, I'd like to hear your argument. How can you (laughs) let me and Brad know and the rest of the team? I'll tell you what, we're everywhere on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube. All you have to do is tag us with the at symbol for at DC Comics News. I'd like to once again say thank you to my uh, 
co-conspirator on this episode of DC Comics New Podcast. Thank you, Brad. Really enjoyed every element of discussion. Thank you. And it was uh, a great time. Yeah, and we're going to wrap this up with the uh, the famous line you're so used to hearing. Because while you can watch it, you can hear it. The best thing you can always do is continue to read comic books. And as always, read more comics. <laughs> Thanks, Bye. everybody. Catch you next time.